That's why we're here today. That simple story told in pictures is why we're here today. It's why we're here every week. It's the only reason we're here. It's because the God who made all things sent his son. He was born, he lived, he died. He rose again. I don't know if you recognize the song behind that video. It's a hymn that I used to sing growing up in the church. and The chorus goes, he arose, he arose, hallelujah. Christ arose. That's why the church is the church. It's why we're here. It's my pleasure to be celebrating you, with you the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. The resurrection uh, is what gives us life. And that's what we want to talk about today, this resurrection that gives us life. Throughout Jesus' teachings, he spoke of the resurrection. He actually even called himself the resurrection when he spoke with his friend Martha on the day that he arrived at her home as they were mourning the loss of her brother Lazarus. Lazarus had died and Martha came to Jesus and said to him, oh, Jesus, if you had only been here, I know you could have done something to prevent this tragedy from occurring. And Jesus says, yeah, but Martha, you know that he's gonna rise. He's gonna rise again. And Martha says there in John chapter 11, oh, we know that, we know, we understand our theology and we've got that down straight. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. And in fact, in just a short time, Lazarus was gonna walk out of his grave by the power of the command of our Savior Jesus Christ. But before he got to that, he said these words. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's why we hang out. Because Jesus has conquered the grave. And through our faith in him, we can go from death to life as well. I don't know if that gets you excited in the morning, but it does me. It gives me the hope that I have to face the things in my life. Let's talk about who's here today before we move on. There's a, a few groups of people here today. There's certainly the people here who, uh, when I talk about Jesus being the resurrection of the life, you're like, I'm there. I believe. And uh, we came for the party. We came for the celebration today of this thing that we have chosen as our own. But there's people who are probably sitting out there who wonder how anyone can believe this. Yeah, you're here for the ham. <laughs> and this was a condition. If uh, you wanted to be a part of the uh, egg hunt and the ham, you had to show up here. Well, even if you're here under duress, I'm, I'm really grateful that you're here. And even if you don't believe, I, I, here's what I believe. I believe that there is a God, and even if you don't believe in him, he believes in you, and he loves you, and he makes appointments for people to sit down in spaces where they can hear about him, and I trust that this is one of those things. And so uh, my hope for you is that if your arms aren't folded physically, but they're folded on the inside, is that you'll just open yourself up to the truth that Jesus has in his resurrection for you. There's people who are here who believe but still wonder. Uh, I count myself among that group often. I got questions. You know what I need every time, once in a while when I'm having questions? A shot in the arm of the truth. A reminder of the victory that I have in my relationship with Jesus Christ. He arose. He's given me life and he can give me life. He can give me life again. And then there's people who wonder if it's possible to ever believe again. And, and, and maybe that's you. You're, you're back at church this Easter, just like you were last Easter and the year before. But between Easter's, you're just kind of like, eh. Because, you know, there's other things going on in your life. There's other focuses for you to uh, give yourself to. And maybe it's been years since uh, your heart beat 
with a passion for our Savior. Well, my prayer is that this Easter, uh, your pulse picks up again. Regardless of which group you're in, uh, here's what I believe to be true. Jesus rose from the dead, and because he did, you and I can have new life. I'm gonna pray that God gives that to us now. I'm gonna pray for the preaching of his word. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks so much for the chance to gather in this room on this amazing day, the day of days in the Christian faith. Christmas is awesome because it starts the story. Good Friday is important and essential because without the death there could be no resurrection. But this day, this Resurrection Sunday is the day that makes our faith our faith. So thank you, God, for sending your son. Thank you for conquering the grave so that we uh, can conquer it with him in our faith in him. We can uh, be secured to an eternal life with you, but we can be given new life in the life that we live now. What a blessing. What a gift. Thank you for that. As I speak about your resurrection today, Jesus, I pray that you would push me aside through your spirit. You would speak in my place, that you'd give us the truth, and we'd walk out of here convinced of the resurrection. Uh, That's my prayer, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Probably the biggest question in the in the Christian faith, or posed to the Christian faith, is why does the resurrection matter? What, what's, what's the big deal with this resurrection? Why is it so central? And uh, we're gonna read today in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open there with me and follow along. We'll put the words up on the screens, but if you've got it on your phone or if you've got it in paper form in your lap, please read there as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's where Paul speaks to a church that had been planted uh, some 20 or 25 years after the death of Jesus Christ, and uh, Corinth was a hot mess. Corinth had some problems. They, uh, if you read the letter there, you, you'll kind of pick up on some of those themes. They had all kinds of issues. Uh, you know, I like to think of them as, as the Vegas of the early church. They, uh, they got lots of stuff going on and lots of things that need to be corrected. So Paul's busy in his letter writing to them about these corrections. But he gets to one of the corrections here in chapter 15. And what needs to be corrected is this, this false teaching, this false idea that the resurrection of the body does not occur So he starts in chapter 15 with an explanation of the gospel, and he's very careful to include the resurrection. So that's the first reason why the resurrection matters. The resurrection matters because the Christian story, the Christian gospel is rooted in the resurrection. Apart from it, we don't have our gospel. Look at what it says in verse 1. It says, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand. For I delivered to you as of the first importance what I also received, this is what was handed down to me, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive Though some have fallen asleep. This last verse is really cool because he basically says, listen, Jesus rose from the grave and we know this because he appeared to all kinds of people who saw him, Cephas, the other 12 apostles. He, he showed up to a, a group of 500 people at one time apparently who, who witnessed him in his resurrection form. He says, listen, some of those still exist today. They're still alive today. If you, if you don't believe me, Take a boat to Jerusalem or go talk to Carl. He lives down the road. He was there. And he could tell you that he saw Jesus risen from the grave. Then he kind of tips his hand on how his feelings of uh, resurrection fall. He he basically says, uh, many are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. This is uh, Paul's way of saying some people are dead. He doesn't say dead. Why? Because in his 
theology and his understanding of existence, Christians don't die, they just take a nap. Anybody wake up this morning? Someone's still trying? Anybody here? Just need another cup of coffee? Maybe some of you do. Uh, yeah, uh, part of sleeping is the end of sleeping. That's the waking. And so when Paul describes people who die in the faith, he doesn't describe them as dead. He says they fall asleep because they wake up again. Let's go through those things that he included in the gospel. He says, I pass on to you what I received. First of all, Jesus died. Jesus died. When we think of the gospel, that's probably the first thing we think of. When you think Christians, what's our, what's our symbol? There's a couple of them in our room right now. The cross, right? We think of the death of Jesus Christ. And certainly, it is crucial because without the death of Jesus Christ, there can be this, or there can't be this thing called propitiation. Everybody say propitiation. Use it in a sentence. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's not a word I throw around all the time either. But propitiation is this big theology word that we never use that basically means uh, two things. It means uh, atoning or, or making up for a wrong, uh, uh, admitting to someone that you've offended that you are the offender, and then doing everything that you can to reconcile that relationship and bring it back to right. It's, it's what happens. Propitiation happens in the grocery aisles of Publix and wherever you get your groceries every day because people will just kind of be you know, moving their cart along, looking at the products on the side, and all of a sudden they'll ram their cart into someone who's not you know, moving in front of them and you know, break their ankle. I don't break their ankle, but they'll hurt their ankle. Or, or sometimes, you ever come around the corner at the grocery store and you're not looking and you see, and all of a sudden you bump into them and all of their produce that was, you know, should have been in a basket. What's wrong with these people, these you know, crazy folks just gathering you know, oranges without a basket. But anyway, you hit them, and whatever they're carrying falls out of their hands. What do you say? When, when you bump into someone accidentally, what do you say? Someone last night said, I, I run. And I just don't know if you should do that. I don't think that's a, a right reaction. Yeah, uh, humans typically say, oh, I'm so sorry. And then if you made them drop something, what do you do? Yeah, you, you bend over. It's courteous to pick up whatever you caused to fall. But... Uh, in, a, in a weird kind of grocery store type way. That's propitiation. That's making up for some offense, admitting your part uh, of being the offender and then seeking to bring things back together. Now, here's the problem with humans and uh, God in, in this you know, area of propitiation. We don't have anything that can cover the offense. There's nothing in you and I that is going to atone or settle the score, bring us back to even in a relationship with the holy God. Because I don't know about you, but no matter how hard I try to be good, I'm still bad. Has anybody noticed that about yourself? Like you could be good like up to here, but then if you know, your husband or your wife says that one last thing, all bets are off. Here they go. You know, gloves are dropped and you know, we're just going to go. Because I can be good to here, but in and of myself, I can't be perfect. And so Perfection requires perfection for our propitiation, and that's why Jesus came and died. He became the perfect sacrifice that would be accepted by a perfect God so that we could be reconciled to him. Uh, the, the cross is so important to our faith, but I, I think we should have more necklaces that have empty tombs hanging on them because if we just leave it at the cross, we've only gotten half of our gospel if we just talk about propitiation, we forget about justification. So the Bible says that Jesus died. The Bible says that he was buried. Uh, that's important because uh, you can't have a resurrection unless someone truly dies. 
Resurrection requires actual death. And we know from the accounts that Jesus really did die. They put a spear in his side to make sure that he is, uh, was dead on his, on his cross. He, that he was wrapped in burial clothes. And if the cross hadn't killed him, the suffocation from those wrappings would have killed him. Uh, but we know that he died on the cross. He was put in a tomb for three days. He laid there dead. Not kind of dead, sort of dead, almost dead. He was dead. Just like we are in our sins. And then the Bible says that he rose again. Came back to life, just like the video showed. <gasps> and he, he lived. He walked out of that tomb by the power of God and the grace and the strength that he was given. He, he, he came back to life. This is called... Uh, like I said earlier, justification in the book of Romans. It says, uh, he was raised for our justifications, Romans, Romans 4, uh, 25. He was raised uh, almost as like a stamp of God's approval. Uh, God saw his work on the cross and says, yep, that's what I required. And so he pulled him from death, just as he will pull us from death when we put our faith in the work of Jesus. It says that he appeared, this is verification. You got propitiation, justification, and verification. He appeared to Cephas and the 12 and the 500, and he goes on, I didn't read the verses, but he appeared to the brother of, uh, his brother uh, and another apostle named James, and he appeared uh, to Paul himself. Paul says, I saw him. I was just minding my own business, walking on the road to Damascus, riding on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden, bright light, there he was, Jesus, incarnate, re, uh, returned from the grave, and he told me, hey, we're gonna switch teams. You're gonna be on my side now. Yeah, he says, listen, man, this is our gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Without resurrection, um, our story just isn't our story. That's the next point I want to make, and Paul goes on to make it. Without resurrection, our story falls apart. You skip down, Paul starts with the gospel, but then he goes to this whole argument that the Corinthian church was uh, in the middle of as far as the, you know, what happens when someone dies, so they come back to life. And this is what he says. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection? He goes on and he says, if, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He's basically saying, wait a minute. And this is what the Corinthians were doing. You want to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all the grace and the mercy and the, the goodness that comes from that, but then you want to negate the fact that people actually physically rise from the grave. And, and this was kind of a common thing in, in Greek philosophy. Even the, the Jewish faith had a sect called the Sadducees that believed that the, the human body just rotted and stayed in the ground and it never came back to life. Uh, but Christians didn't believe that. And so Paul's like, wait a minute. You're going to believe on the one side that Jesus rose from the grave, and then you're going to accept the Greek philosophies or the, the Sadducees' a version of our faith or of, of theology, and you're going to say that humans don't, the rest of us don't come from the He's like, you can't do that. That's like saying you're a Yankee fan and a Red Sox fan. It just doesn't happen. The two don't go together. It's illogical to argue that. And he says, so listen, you've you got to have both or none. Either Jesus rose from the grave, so we can too, or Jesus didn't raise from the grave. And he goes on here in verse 14, he says, and if Christ didn't raise, verse 14, if Christ did not come back from the dead, then I'm wasting my time. Paul's like, I'm preaching, I'm preaching nonsense. There's nothing in my, there's nothing in my, there's nothing in my story to you. There's nothing in my preaching that's of value to you. And not only that, if you're believing this and you're not believing that people come back to life and that life can be given anew, then your faith is in vain. You can't have the one without the other. 
He goes on, he says in verse 15, he says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ and whom he did not raise, according to you, if it's true that the dead are not raised. He's basically saying, if this is true, I'm a false teacher. I've been misrepresenting what God you know, is, is actually about, if, according to you, if, if I preach that people come back to life and they really don't. Verse 16 says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He said that before. Everybody pick that up? He's trying to hammer that nail pretty hard. Here's the kicker. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Futile there means empty. There's just nothing there. Has anybody been really thirsty on a hot day and you you knew you had a bottle of water in your cooler and so you go to your car or wherever your cooler is and you reach in to grab the bottle of water but one of your kids drank it before you? Has anybody had these kids? I remember these these moments, and you pick up that empty bottle, and you're like, oh, right? One of the worst things in the world, to take your wallet out while you're getting ready to pay for your bill at the restaurant, and you know, your beautiful wife had taken the 20 that was on there. Now these days it isn't as big a deal because you got cards left and right, but uh, there was a time you'd be like, oh! But that's what comes when you find out that something you have or thought you had is, is empty, the disappointment. It's kind of how I felt uh, during the eighth inning of the baseball game on Thursday that I paid a lot of money to take my mother to as she visits here. Many of you uh, know that I'm a fan of the team from Boston, and I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the score on Thursday, but uh, things were going very well for those of us fans dressed in blue and red. Uh, up till the eighth inning, we were ahead 4 nothing. Uh, the Rays hadn't uh, gotten more than, I think, two hits, and uh, I was just kind of coasting the final. And here, here's the deal. Uh, my mom and I have never, we've gone to many games together, we've never seen the Red Sox win a game. Like, like I've, I've doled out all this money to go to these games, I've never seen them win. And so we're sitting there in the eighth inning, and I turned to mom, I think it was even in that inning, I turned to mom and I said, Mom, this is it, the streak's over. It's 4 nothing in the eighth inning. We're going to walk out of here rejoicing. If you're not a sports fan, uh, the Rays scored six runs on four walks and two base hits in the eighth inning. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for the salt in my wound. I appreciate that. I didn't talk a, lot, uh, talk a lot on the truck on the way home. Because I was just so like, oh, I thought I had it. I thought we won. I, I made all of this investment, and it was all for naught. Mom said I just periodically would say, Wow, like every <laughs> 10 minutes or so as I was trying to just put together what had just happened. Race fans aren't very nice when they win either. I want to be honest about that. <laughs> Enjoy it while you can. All right, anyway. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm picturing the Corinthians reading uh, this letter that Paul had written them. And uh, many of them perfectly satisfied with believing that Jesus rose, but we don't, and and Paul's saying to them, well then, hey, listen, uh, Broseph, you, you don't have a faith. Your faith is futile. And if you don't believe in the resurrection from the dead, then your sins are still counted against you. Do you see that where he says that? You're not forgiven. You're not redeemed. Our hope is in the resurrection. Jesus first, but then in ours. He can give new life. It's our gospel. He says, 
furthermore, there, there are those uh, who have fallen asleep in Christ, and if they've fallen asleep in Christ, believing, uh, according to you, that people you know, rise from the grave, but they don't, well, then they're just going to stay in the grave. They're, they're perished for good. They're not coming back to life because apparently, according to you, there is no life after death. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, that is, there's, there's no hope for resurrection, no hope for the next life, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. If there's no resurrection, then a world who to be fair, already does kind of look at Christians and be like, oh, those poor people. They think there's a God. I can't believe they believe that story. Well, if it's true that Christ didn't raise from the grave or that we can't raise from the grave because he did, then yeah, let us be pitied. Let us be looked upon with derision because we've been duped. And being despondent is the only reasonable reaction. I wonder if that's how the people who knew Jesus at his crucifixion felt. Because you've got to understand, these 12 who followed him and the rest who kind of gathered around him, they had been following Jesus basically with some different assumptions. They had figured that, you know, Jesus, who had come onto the scene, this carpenter from Nazareth, this nobody out of the woods, he came on the scene, he turned water into wine, and he just got better from there. Walked on water, fed 5,000. I mean, just scroll through the miracles. He did some crazy stuff, and these 12 guys were front row for all of it. He saw, they saw healings and, and spiritual warfare uh, you know, victories, and they saw all these amazing things take place. They heard Jesus speak like no rabbi or teacher had ever spoken before. His authority was undeniable. He spoke of this kingdom of God coming to earth, and they're like, sign me up. They actually fought about which chairs they'd sit in. They weren't as attentive when Jesus would say to them, hey, just so you know, I gotta go back to Jerusalem soon. I gotta offer myself up. I gotta, I gotta die so that I can, in three days, rise again. That's my true purpose. And they're like, la, 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 Jesus, I don't wanna hear that. Tell me more about the kingdom. Show me where I'm gonna sit. They have that amazing Passover meal, and Jesus takes the Seder feast, and he breaks the bread, and he says, hey, guys, uh, new emblem here, new symbol. From now on, this bread that's been a part of the Jewish custom is a custom to remember my body broken. This wine that's always been for something else is to remember my blood shed. And see, even then, they're still kind of like, oh, he keeps he's such a morbid guy. He keeps talking about this stuff, and it was only when Judas came up in the garden and gave his master a kiss, and the soldiers shackled him and took him away. That they, what is going on? They followed from afar. We only have really evidence of a couple of them even watching the, 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 the crucifixion happen. John stood there with his mother Mary, Jesus' mother. Peter just hung out for a little while, and then he started denying Christ left and right. He ran off, right? When they put Jesus in his tomb, his closest friends were nowhere to be found. And they, it must have, I mean, I'd, I'd love to read that passage if it was ever in the Bible. I want to know what happened in those two or three days between the crucifixion and the resurrection. What these guys do? I think lots of texts were going back and forth. They know it was us. They know we were there with them. We're the next to go. They're going to nail us to the tree too. Should we even be seen together? Tell you what, everybody walk at different times. We'll end up in this one room. We'll shut all the doors. 
We'll figure out what we're going to do there. The women got together that morning, the morning after the Sabbath. They couldn't do anything on the Sabbath day. But on that first resurrection Sunday, they got together and they were going to walk to the tomb, make sure that everything was copacetic. Uh, the guys, Joseph of Arimathea and this guy Nicodemus, who had basically made a hasty burial of Jesus. You have to bury them right after they die in the Jewish faith. Uh, they, they wrapped him in clothes. They put him in, a, in, a, in another person's tomb. Uh, the women were coming to make sure that they hadn't botched it. They brought spices. They're going to repack the dressings that the bodies were wrapped in at the time. Uh, actually, for the first year of a person's uh, death or after a person's death, you could come and pay your respects, and that's why they kept changing the dressings on the burial clothes so that the body wouldn't stink through them. So that's what they were coming to do. And they, along with the disciples and everybody else who witnessed crucifixion, uh, were expecting Jesus to be in his tomb because nobody expected nobody. It's not like, you know, the people, you know, that were following Jesus at the time were hanging out outside the tomb and, you know, waiting for uh, Jesus to come out because that's what he always said he was going to do. He's going to rise from the grave, so we just got to stick around here until he comes out. And so, you know, all right, let's start the countdown. Ten, nine, eight, cue the rising sun. Seven, six, five, four. This will look great on a video in 2018. Two, one. And Jesus walks out of the grave. It just didn't happen that way. Nobody expected nobody. But when the women got there, this is our story. This is our song. Jesus was no longer in the grave. The tomb was empty. Messengers stood over the top of the tomb. Angels from God said, hey, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He's not here. They turned to run to tell the disciples. One of them, Mary, runs into Jesus himself, one of the gospels tell us. They have a brief conversation. Jesus tells her, go tell the fellows. I'll meet them in Galilee. It'll be awesome. I'm back. Mary goes and shares the story with the disciples in John chapter 20. We see Peter and John having a race to the tomb. John got there first because he was younger, faster. But he didn't go inside. Peter just blew right past him, went inside, and saw that the tomb was empty. And they both walked out, and it says they marveled. They couldn't understand. And it was sometime after that that they required to actually come to this understanding that what Jesus had talked about all along had taken place. His resurrection was his reason for coming. So let's talk about that as we finish today. The resurrection assures new life for those who believe. Paul gets done talking about all this. Hey, listen, if the resurrection is not real, if Jesus, you know, uh, if, if people don't rise from the grave, Jesus didn't rise from the grave. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, our sins are still accounted against us. Our faith is futile. Those who went to the grave before us, they're going to stay there. This is, this is not the faith I signed up for. So he changes his tune. He makes his argument, and then he says, one of my favorite words in the Bible, he says, but. Because but means we're going somewhere else with this dialogue. He says, but. And then he says these words, in fact. He could have just said, but Christ is risen from the dead, but he makes sure that everybody, is, as they're reading this, clearly understands. This is fact. This is the truth. I saw him with my own eyes. Jesus has risen from the grave. We do that, right? If we're going to say something that we really mean, what do we say? Seriously. For real. In fact, Truth after that. That's what Paul says. In fact, Christ has raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits is this farming term that basically 
means that they, they would go out for the harvest and they would bring these, this first bushel of wheat in or the first basket of, of uh, whatever the fruit is that they were growing in. And they'd bring it in and they'd test it and then from, from just judging the yield of those first crops that were picked, they could predict what kind of you know, season they were gonna have, what kind of harvest they were gonna have. The first fruits were the first uh, or the beginnings of the whole harvest. And so what Paul is saying here is like, Jesus is just the first to raise from the grave. There's going to be many. In fact, all who believe in him will have life anew after death. He's the first fruits of those who have, and there's his favorite phrase again, for death, fallen asleep. For, he says in verse 20, as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. He's referring to the two Adams. The first Adam is uh, Adam himself, Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter three. If you don't know the story, that's how everything got kind of off the rails in humanity. Adam and Eve chose to sin against God. And so in Adam and Eve, in our descendancy from them, we are imputed, spiritually speaking, with the DNA of sin. We, just, we are sinful. It's not that we are prone to sin, we are capable of sin, we are sin. And in that sin, we understand there's the penalty of death, and, and, and man came death, and Adam came death, but by a man, Jesus, born as a human, has come the resurrection of the dead. He says in verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And this is the message that we're going to somehow preach one way or another every week that we gather. Because here's, here's basically how life boils down. You can either be with Christ or without Christ. You can be alive, forgiven of your sin, or dead and still trapped in your sin. The difference between the two is centered around your belief. What do you believe? You believe that you're good enough, you don't need Jesus? You believe in some other religion? You believe in, I don't know, nothing? Well, the, the scripture is clear that those aren't going to satisfy a holy God. Our belief needs to be in the one that he sent, in the plan that he provided, and that is in the bur death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what makes us alive. And so I don't know about you, but on this Resurrection Sunday and every Sunday, I'm grateful to know that when I die, because of my faith, I believe I will be brought back to life again. I'll spend eternity with the God who did that for me. But I don't just revel in that. I revel in the fact that even now, in the present, in the life that I live, in all the dead areas of my existence, in all the areas where sin creeps in and makes a mess of my relationships, and a mess of my personal life, I can experience resurrection in those things as well because as in Adam all things die, in Christ all things in me can be made alive. I, uh, I usually wear a name tag here at our church. Anybody got yours on? Some of you wear them, some of you don't. It's okay, either way. We just wanted to have name tags so we could know each other's names. My name is Mark, yeah, that worked out great. Before Jesus, though, I had other, other tags and other labels that uh, described me. Uh, they were my sins. Every time that I coveted something someone else had, I was guilty of greed. Every time I... I took in a relationship. I was a thief. Every time I opened my mouth and deceived, I was a liar. Every time uh, I got disappointed 
and didn't get what I wanted, I was guilty of unrighteous anger. I could go on, but this isn't confession. Does everybody pick up what I'm putting down? Yeah, we're all guilty of these things, and these are the labels that God sees in us. They can all be summarized by the fact that we're all sinners, it says in Romans, because we're all sinners, uh, the wages of our sin is death. That's how, that's how we start. Every one of us in Adam, this is who we are, labeled by our sins. But here's the good news. It's what I'm talking about this weekend. It's what we're getting all dressed up for. It's why I put the suit on. The good news is this, is that Jesus came, he was born, he lived a perfect life. At the appointed time, he surrendered himself to the humans that he created. And he allowed himself to be beaten and flogged with an inch of his life. He allowed himself to be falsely accused, to be wrongly convicted. He allowed himself to be nailed to one of these, a cross. And he allowed himself to die. He did all that so that our sins could be paid for and so that we could be given this new life through his resurrection. So that's what the cross is all about. It's about Jesus taking from us the penalties of our sin, taking from us our very identity, our our names are no longer important, our sin. are no longer ours, because he's taken them. He paid for them on the tree, and then he came out of the grave, and in the same way that he came back to life, he made you and I alive as well. So it comes down to our choices. He's given us that as well. He didn't just force us to believe in him. He gave us the option. Many of us in here have, and Many of us in here persist in that belief in most areas of our lives, but maybe there's certain areas of our lives where, man, death is just strong, and it's hard for us to overcome in those areas of weakness. Here's where we're going to go next, and I know some of you, it's you know, Easter Sunday morning, you got ham to get to, and, and we're kind of almost done, and so some of you are starting to look at your, like, isn't it great that they made phones so that they just kinda, you can just kind of tilt them up and you can see the clock, and nobody even knows that you're looking at it? You I was walking over there. I saw some of you. Because you're like, man, he's going to walk around the crowd now? How much time is this going to take? Yeah, it's, it's time for us to be done. But you know what I think it's really time for? I think it's time for all of us in here to really consider what in us needs resurrection. What in us needs to be brought back to life by the power and the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ. For some of us, it's just receiving him for the first time, becoming a Christian, admitting that you and your sin, you're not gonna be able to reconcile yourself to God. It's only through faith in Christ that you can be put back together with the God who made you. For some of us, that's, that's the decision that needs to happen today. But for many of us, there's stuff going on in our lives that's just dead. It's just broken, it's wrong. It's not honoring to God, it's hurtful to us. God wants to give us life in those dead areas. He wants us to be freed so that we can honor him. So I'm gonna give us a chance as we sing this morning to hear some of the testimonies of the people 
uh, that uh, shared them over the last couple weeks here at our church in the video booths that we had. I'm going to give you a chance to think about what needs to change in you, and then I'm going to give you a chance to move. So as we sing, ask God, what's dead in me, and how can you bring me life? My name is Nicole, and Jesus has made a difference in my life through um, the forgiveness that he gave me, and he um, truly restored my marriage and just gave me something new um, through his forgiveness and the forgiveness of my husband to me and me to my husband. So, that's it. Oh, we're going? Oh, hi, my name is Glenn, and Jesus has changed my life by making my marriage new. Nicole already said this, I know, but mine's better. So, basically... I started loving Jesus, it got better. by giving me life again. Five years ago, I was diagnosed with both uh, breast and colon cancer. On Thursday of this last week, um, my doctor grabbed my hands and he said to me, Ruth, I'm so pleased to tell you today that you are cancer free. And he said, none of us physicians thought you were going to make it. Every day is a bonus day for you. Go out into the world and make a difference. So that is my mission in life, is to make a difference. Release my chains out of say that through that uh, anger management uh, class, uh, I got a lot of healing and release. Uh, I, I began to uh, 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 understand myself, understand the anger that I was going through and give it to Jesus. I decided to give back. I began facilitating the uh, anger workshop in order to help others along the way uh, get through this time of their life also. And so that's how Jesus helped me <clears throat> and I hope this helps you. A savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoices though heaven I love. But then 
a little girl, and he's made many differences in my life, but one I'm especially aware of is uh, that I've had rheumatoid arthritis for 35 years, and the amazing difference that he's made in my life is that he's given me the grace to cope with it. It hasn't always been easy. I've had to have surgery as a result 10 different times, and we'll probably have some more. But he's given me grace to live with it and to have joy in life in spite of it. someone who was angry and only cared about himself and Jesus has made a difference in my life to become a life group leader um, to share my story with others and to ju just be better than I was yesterday Jesus has made a huge difference in my life and I couldn't be more grateful this is TJ TJ was that face on the screen you just saw TJ is up here because I wanted you to understand what we're going to do next is something that I hope uh, starts you on a new path and a new life with Jesus. TJ had been prayed for by his family for years when I finally met him about 12 or 13 years ago. We met, we met because uh, one of our friends in the church, Mike, uh, uh, asked us both to come and watch a Yankees-Red Sox game, Yankee fans. Uh, despite that... We became friends, he joined my life group, and through several conversations, uh, ultimately he uh, landed at the dining room table in our house, and in one conversation, you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time, that's right, yeah. And, uh, and so everything that's proceeded from that is uh, who TJ is, or who God has made TJ to be today. And here, here's the deal, it started with a conversation. It started with one interaction. So here's what we've done today. It's not our norm, I get it. You got ham, I get it. But we've got pastors and prayer partners surrounding uh, the front of our room. And we're just going to sing through that chorus a couple more times. We're going to celebrate the fact that we're free. Or we can be free in new life with Christ. And if you've never met Jesus, you can come talk to one of these prayer partners or pastors. And they would love to share with you the plan of salvation, how you can receive Jesus. And, and if you've followed Jesus for a long time, but there's areas of your life. But like uh, maybe some of the people you saw in the videos, you know, where there was anger and and, and there was, you know, health issues and things, whatever it is, if, if you need prayer, if you need, some, you know, someone to point you towards the new life that resurrection can bring, let this be a time that that happens. Put your stickers on the cross. Uh, let God move in you right now as we say. Let's sing.
begins with Jesus. That's why we gather every week. That's why we celebrate today. Jesus conquered the grave, and you and I can conquer death through faith in him. Can we pray together? God, thanks so much for this chance to celebrate. And we celebrate every day the grace that you've shown us through your son, Jesus Christ. May you receive the glory you deserve from our lives, and may we receive from you the new life that only you can give. I pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. I say he is risen. You say he is risen indeed. You ready? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Go in God's grace to new life. Oh, your